Good job, guys. So let me continue on Jeff's, Pastor Jeff's trajectory here of asking you some questions. Should we think less of those who wear masks? Do you? Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. How about over whether or not you should take a vaccine? Should you think less of somebody who thinks you should take one and everybody should take one? Should you think less of them? We do. We do. So that's what I want to talk about. Originally, um, every fall we usually do one or two or three sermons on who we are as a church just to make sure you're not drifting off vision. That's a bad thing to drift from vision. We want to stay on task. And then everything's been happening in the last few weeks and I thought, hey, we need to be helpful, try to be helpful to you all with what's going on in the world especially related to COVID and masks, I know, and vaccine mandates and in light of what our president said two Thursdays ago. And so I thought, I've been thinking about you a lot on this over the last 18 months, and Romans 14 has been the main thing that I've been thinking about you and concerned for in you, of how you think about this and what has grabbed you, where you're giving your time and attention, affection, and who you're separating from or thinking less of and all of the conflict and division and so on. This is nothing new. I'm listening to a biography of Teddy Roosevelt. I don't know why it sparked my interest. I've been listening. And he's just post-Civil War, late 1800s, early 1900s. And at that time, the Republican Party was corrupt, 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 corrupt. And he, his father fought the corruption, especially in New York, and he took on the mantle in, um, in the presidential nomination. I don't remember what year it was. There was a presidential candidate, a Republican presidential candidate they thought would get the Republican nomination, and he was corrupt. He was a wicked man, morally not a good man at all. And they were fighting him and using all political things they could have. They were, the, the Republican Party was absolutely divided over it. Um, and all of the newspapers were writing, if he gets the nomination, the Republican Party's finished. It can't go on. They've had the presidency for six straight elections, and if he gets the nomination, it's done. Does that sound familiar? And that's what we're hearing. Our country's finished. We're all done. Tyranny. Blah, 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 blah. And you guys are listening to this all. And I... My heart for you is, okay, Christians, how are you thinking about this? What scripture are you looking at as you consider these things? So that's what I want to do. And I have in my notes over and over and over, be kind, be tender, give them hope. And so that's what I want to try to do as I try to get your mind off of and heart off of some of those things and look at how... Paul, the Holy Spirit-inspired apostle in Rome under a crazy tyrannical government where Christianity was outlawed, what was he preaching to the church? How was he guiding and directing the church in his politically charged day? So that's what I want to do. So we're in Romans 14. 
I want to read Romans 14, 1 to 15, 7. Kind of a lengthy section, but it all fits together really tightly. So my concerns for you are these kind of things. My concern is that you do get very deeply troubled, even overwhelmed, despair. My concern is that you do think less of other believers who think differently than you on some of these things, that you lose respect, care maybe. My biggest concern is that American Christians are just go-it-alone Christians. In the book of Judges, the repeated refrain is that each one just does right in his own eyes. I think that's what we are. I don't think we have much care for any kind of authority in our lives. And it's a great concern for me for you, because I know you, because I know me, and that Christians really have very little care for anybody in authority. We just do what's right in your own eyes. And then also that you have some encouragement in these days. And so that's what I want to do with Romans 14. So let me read it for you. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> but, not, but, but not to quarrel or opinions. One person believes he made anything, while well, a weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. Well, the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be, both, might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord, Jesus, that nothing is unclean in of itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, for the sake of masks, for the sake of vaccines, destroy the work of God. Everything is clean indeed, 
But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, would you grant this, that those who are strong would bear with the failings of the weak, those who have doubts would be given faith, that we would do that which is pleasing to you and helpful to others and not to ourselves, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, Paul wrote this letter to the Christian church in the capital city of the Roman Empire. He wrote it at a time when Christianity was illegal. Christianity was illegal. It's not freedom of religion. There was sporadic, though increasing, persecution of Christians. Often Christians were persecuted because Jews turned them in. Because for a long time, Christianity was thought just another Jewish sect. And the Jews wanted to make sure that the Roman authorities knew better. And so they would point out, they're not Jews. They're they're a different thing. And so once that became discovered, basically anything bad that happened in the Roman Empire was blamed on the Christians. And when something bad happened, persecution would break out against the Christians. The emperor, the Caesar at that time, was Nero probably heard of Nero. He was a crazy man, sincerely crazy, like lunatic crazy. And he would have orgies at the palace and he would light them with Christians on poles dipped in oil. This is the group Paul's writing to. No offense, we don't really have it too bad. We don't really have it that bad. That was tyranny. That's tyranny. So Paul wrote this letter, two parts. The first 11 chapters are all doctrinal, all about justification by faith. That we have this incredible gift from God, that it isn't by what we do, but what Christ done that we're counted as righteous before God. Amen? It's the greatest news in the universe. This is for the Jew and for the Gentile. All are sinners falling short of the glory of God, and all are made righteous by Faith in Christ Jesus. That's 11 chapters of that over and over and over again. It's glorious. In chapter 12 then, he begins with, Therefore, you've heard it before, Therefore, by the mercy of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your pleasing spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. So then chapters 12 to 16 are all application. We're righteous with God, not by works, but by faith. What does it look like to live as those righteous by faith and not by works? Don't be conformed to the world. 
Chapter 14 then takes that thought. Don't be conformed to the world and applies it to the church. One of the pressures within the church is to be conformed to the world. And the world, what do they do? They divide over everything and anything. They divide over everything. We see it all over the place, don't we? They're, they're anything and everything our world will use to think less of somebody, to manipulate somebody, to get what you want out of somebody. We separate. We separate, separate, separate. And the, the pressure will be like that to be in the, wor- in the church. That you look at a blood-brought brother or sister and think less of them because they don't eat meat. That's what's going on here. That's who he's writing to. How do you think about lesser important issues, important issues but not primary issues, in the church? What do we do? In chapter 14.1 to 15.8, we see that each of us are individuals who will give an account to God. Verse 7, none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. We live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. At the end of time, and the end of verse 10, we each will stand before the judgment seat of God. Verse 12, every one of us will give an account of himself to God. That's you and that's me. This is why we fear God. This is the ground of our fear of God, that we will stand before him and give an account of everything. Jesus said every idle word, every inclination of our heart, you will give an account before God. And here in Romans chapter 14 and beginnings of chapter 15, what is the specific thing they will give an account to God for? It's not, don't keep it general. He wants you to get very specific here. What are you giving an account for? Your treatment, your thinking about other believers where you have differences. You're tracking with me, right? You're not just going to give an account generally for how you treat each other, but specifically at the point where you have differences of opinion on matters of secondary importance. That's where the rubber meets the road for Christian love and unity. Not where we agree. Not where we have similarities. But where we have differences. How do you think about another brother or sister? Where you have differences of opinion. How do you treat those that you agree with compared to those who you disagree with? Is your treatment of them similar? Who do you have over at your house for a meal? So we'll give an account of those things. Now, what do I mean by matters of secondary importance? Look at verse 2. One issue he brings up is food. There's nothing new, is there? Is the world just the same? And, and it's very ironic here that he mentions somebody eats anything <laughs> and somebody only vegetables. <laughs> you know what I think of somebody only eats vegetables? I'm not going to tell you because you'd think a lot less of me. <laughs> we love the jokes about bacon and blah, 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 right? Isn't it hilarious that this is the issue? 
that he knows they're dealing with. How two people created in the image of God, redeemed by the blood of the second member of the Trinity, think less of somebody who only eat vegetables. That's one issue, food. The other issue he brings up is days. Verse 5. But what we mean by secondary issues are that they're not primary central truths of Scripture. They're not dealing with the person and work of Christ. They're not dealing with the Trinity. They're not dealing with salvation by faith alone or works alone. That is, they're not dealing with issues that if you disbelieve them, you're going to hell. But if you believe them, you proof that you're going to heaven. He's, ta- he's not talking about those issues. So Pastor Jeff is right. If we were in the church and we had one of our Sunday school teachers teaching that it's okay to love Jesus and worship Allah, we would, should divide over that. We should have a fight. Those are primary issues. They matter to the eternal destiny of people. We should care about those things. But then we have other matters that are important. Matters of food are important. But they're not eternally important. Another way that Paul says it is verse 17. The kingdom of God is of primary importance. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. So, so the kingdom of God is of primary importance. He said it is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so issues that are not of primary matters in the kingdom of God, matters that apply basically just to life here, that do matter. They matter. But if you abuse them, you can harm somebody eternally. And those secondary issues, he wants to show you how to treat others who are of different opinion than you. And, and this is, can I ask you, this is life, isn't it? This is every relationship in every area that you'll ever deal with. It's never a problem what you agree on. It's always a problem what you disagree on. And this is everywhere. Every time you order something at a restaurant, you're making a statement. Gluten or no? It's, this is it. And I, I just want to commend you again. Scripture is so relevant and helpful to us. And so Paul by the power of the Holy Spirit, teaches us how to act as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ on these important but secondary issues in relation to others. First, look at verse 14. I know and am persuading the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in of itself. Verse 20, middle. Everything is indeed clean. What does he mean by clean? Permissible. There is nothing in regards to food or drink or provisions of God in this world that a believer is required to abstain from. So we're free in Christ. We have this incredible freedom in Christ. 
unless it's sinful in of itself. Unless it's sinful in itself, we have absolute and utter unrestricted freedom to enjoy it all to the glory of God. You can wear a mask or not. You can get a vaccine or not. We have this incredible freedom of conscience as believers. Unless it's sinful in of itself. So you are completely free. But, but, on some of these issues, there are sincere, even mature, generally Christians who because of past history, past involvement in sin, on areas that we have freedom, they don't. Their conscience doesn't allow for them to partake of a food like you can in freedom for them, it would be sin because their conscience says no. Or of a drink. Or of a mask. Or of a vaccine. So Paul says in verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith. Now by weak in faith there, he doesn't mean that there's like just a little bit of faith in Jesus. He's not talking here about general faith in Christ that saves. He's here talking about the faith in regards to these secondary matters to use them with freedom. He's saying on, on, on areas where a believer should have freedom, can have freedom, but they have a weakness there. Welcome him. So weak in faith. It's a believer, brother, sister, whose conscience, for whatever reason, does not allow freedom. And Paul says in verse 23 that if you go against that, if you go against, oh, I'm sorry, at the end of verse 14, it's unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. The thing is, is clean in and of itself, but if somebody, for whatever reason, in their conscience, in their heart, in their mind, feels it's unclean, for them to go against that is sin. And so how are we, who don't have that weakness, who are strong, how are we to treat those, to think about those who have weaknesses and specific issues where we can have freedom? How are we to treat them? Well, notice at 14.1 and 15.7, which is the beginning of this section, 14.1, the end of it is 15.7, what, what are the bookends? How should we treat them? What's the word repeated there? This is, this is not a rhetorical question. Welcome. Both places. As one as we can faith, welcome him. Verse 7, chapter 15. Therefore, welcome one another. What is, what is the word welcoming referring to? Accept. But it, it's more than just a general acceptance here. This word is a hospitality word. This word is your home your life, serve the person in your home like you would a dear, near family member that you have everything in common with. Open up your heart, open up your home, welcome. Specifically, the person that you have a real difference with. Welcome them. Why? Look at verse 7. Or how? Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. 
We were divided, eternally separated from God in heaven, and now welcomed home because of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and reign. We're welcomed. We celebrate it the first Sunday of every month, the kind of welcome the Father has given us into his home, into his family, at his table, with a seat, at the adult table, all the food, all the drink. Give him that kind of a welcome. So how should we relate to those who are different from us on these matters of secondary importance? With Christ-like welcome. Do you have any areas in your life that you think you differ with Jesus on? You do. What if you, he treated you like you treat others over your differences? None of us would enter the kingdom of God. And he doesn't. We are welcome to him only through faith in his death and resurrection. And on matters of secondary importance, that's how we need to welcome. And I, I don't want you to think that I'm, like on this issue of hospitality, this is the application. This is it. Our world refuses hospitality on matters of secondary importance all the time. We see it. If you don't have a mask, you can't eat here. If you don't have a vaccine card, you can't. That's how our world treats each other all the time. And the church should be very different. Especially towards each other. And it's the practice of hospitality where it, it really is played out. What do I mean by the practice of hospitality? I, I mean using your place of residence to invite others into to serve. You know, frozen pizzas. Who cares? But just that you invite them in, you quick, you know, throw everything in the closet, wipe down the toilet seat, make it look like it's clean, you know, tell the kids to act decent like human beings for the next 90 minutes. And that you act like you get all together and invite somebody in and have a little fun with them. Maybe play a board game, order something from Taco Bell, whatever. But it's just normal, regular hospitality. That, that's the main thing that we do for others of difference on secondary matters. That's the main one. Let me, let, me, let me give you a few more here. In verse 1 of chapter 14, welcome him. And I love this. Does, does, does Paul know us? Do pastors know you? Right. So let's say you listen and you invite somebody over that you know is diametrically opposed to you on the vaccine issue. And what's the temptation? To, to poke. To just little thing here, little thing there. 
You say it in such a way that you have plausible deniability that if they get a little upset with you, you can say, oh, I didn't mean that. Of course you meant it. And he says, but not to quarrel. (laughs) Just treat them like family for a couple hours. Make them feel human, loved, so you don't quarrel. Quarreling has to do with you thinking so highly of your opinion that you need to convince everybody else that you're right, that you're the most righty, right, right, whoever was right. Because we have attached our righteousness to this issue. I have attached my glorious righteousness to my understanding of the mRNA vaccine. And because I have the scientific rightness down, I'm right, you're wrong, and I need to convince you to come over to the right side. Not because I love you or care a whit about you, but because I want you to be as right as I'm right. I want you to acknowledge my rightness. We care very little for the soul of the other. We care very little for their walk in the Lord. Only that we're seen to be right and win. So that's one. We don't argue. We don't argue. I saw an Aesop's fable. I don't think this was an Aesop's fable, but it's like an Aesop's fable this week. And it was one of the most delightful things. Uh, it's a fable of the tiger and the donkey. Did you guys see that one? It's really good. So the donkey was trying to convince the tiger that the grass was blue, and the tiger was trying to set the donkey right that the grass was really green, which it is. But the donkey couldn't be convinced, and so they decided, after the argument became very heated, to take it to an arbiter, to the lion. And the donkey immediately pleaded his case that the grass is blue and that he wanted justice. And so the lion said, all right, you're right, grass is blue tiger must be silent for three days. And the uh, donkey bounced off chanting, the grass is blue, I was right, the grass is blue, I was right. And after the donkey was gone, the tiger looked at the lion and said, look, you know the grass is green, right? I do. And you're punished for arguing with a donkey. Right? And that's us. That's our world. That's our world. That's our world. That's us. So we don't argue. So hospitality is the main thing, but not arguing, not debating, matters of opinion, who cares? Now, I shouldn't say that. These do matter. I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, second, uh, third thing I, I want is, look, look at verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise. Or verse 4. Why, who are you to pass judgment Verse 10, why do you pass judgment? Why do you despise? Verse 13, let us not pass judgment. Verse 18. Oh, that's the wrong one. Well, you're getting the idea. It it is a matter of the heart, of, of how you think about others on your differences. Now, one of the difficulties here is, maybe I'm wrong, but I think we're very similar church-wide on these things. And so we don't necessarily have too many differences here. Maybe on vaccines, not much on masks. Or or maybe you have and you've just felt 
It's not worth the fight or the argument, so, so good on you. But the issue is your heart. I don't know what issues cause you to think less of others. But that's what's getting here too. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Isn't that such a common fallen temptation? That we just take it upon ourselves to pass judgment on somebody on issues of far lesser importance than the, than the main ones. And it's so easy. So what do we, why is Paul going here? Don't forget now. Paul's writing this to a church in the lion's den. They live in the mouth of the lion in Rome. This isn't like, just, hey, maybe this will come up one day. How do you live with Christians in a place where it is very unsafe to be Christian and where there is all kinds of differences over, can I eat this? Can I not do that? And these are young, a young church trying to figure these things out. Why? Well, I'll look at verse 17 again. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, what you'll say and what you should say is, yes, but drinking and eating matter. Because we as Christians really do think everything matters. Paul, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Eating and drinking matter to the glory of God. And yet here, Paul, the same guy, says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. The problem is our little puny minds... When we read that, we immediately insert, well, it doesn't matter at all then. That's not what he's saying. We, we really struggle with matters that really matter and matters that matter, but not as much as the ones that ultimately matter. It's either either or, or, either or in our minds. Either it matters or it doesn't. No, no. There are things that ultimately matter and things that are secondary matters. And the secondary matters really matter, but aren't fundamental. So the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. doesn't mean that, that mat, eating and drinking don't matter. Or let's insert ours. The kingdom of God is not a matter of masks and vaccines. Masks and vaccines matter. But they aren't the central foundational matter of the kingdom of God by which you might separate with somebody over differences on and not treat them as a beloved son or daughter of God. And so this is getting to the matter of your heart priorities. What matters most to you? Is it the eternal well-being of the other person or whether or not they agree with you on mass or vaccines? Is it matters of heaven and hell or matters of taking the jab? Where, what has your heart? That's what this is getting down to. And so... 
Do you spend as much time praying for the soul of the person that you disagree with on these things? Or to verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Is that what you're pursuing? That which makes for peace among God's saints and that which is to build up the others that disagree with you on these important but secondary issues. And Lord, do you care more for their walk with the Lord Jesus than you do their position on whatever? Now, why am I preaching this? Well, it isn't because I see a bunch of people dividing over in our church. Thank God. I really haven't seen that. But I have seen, as I've talked to some of you or listened to you, that these things have really gotten a hold of you. And especially they've gotten a hold of you in how you speak about those in authority positions. That there is such a dismissiveness and a mockery and a belittling and a disrespect for those that God has placed in authority over you. It's really ironic that just before chapter 14 is chapter 13, and chapter 13 begins, let us be subject. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And don't, don't forget, who was the governing authority over the church at Rome? It was the dude lighting Christians on fire. Be subject to him. (laughs) Here's what I see, and where I I think this is leaking out. Many of us who have children, especially when they get the teens, really struggle with their pushing back against you, their arguing with you, their disrespect towards you. And right, rightly so. Your teens can be a real royal pain in the you-know-where. But parents, how do you speak about the authorities in your life before your kids? Aren't you just training them how to talk to you? Aren't we just reaping what we've sown? How we've talked about our supervisor or our elder or small group leader or governor, president, haven't our children listened to a steady stream of belligerence and disrespect and, and then we're surprised when they don't honor our authority. Isn't that true? Isn't that rampant among Christians? Isn't it that we just speak so disrespectfully of every authority in our life? And we're just training other Christians and our children on how to relate to authority. Listen, you you know me, and you know that I do believe Christians should be engaged in public, opposing leadership where it's doing evil things. I, 
This is not a call to pacifism in the least. If you know me at all, you know that I don't think that for a minute. But my great concern for us is that these things have gripped us so greatly that we are found slandering and maligning and and being very disrespectful to any and all authority. And it's really not about masks and it's really not about vaccines. It's just that we are rebels at heart and there's just another excuse to show it. And I, I believe this is a way that you and I can be very different in our culture, salt and light, where we can oppose the tyrannical speech of President Biden two Thursdays ago, but do it with humility and respect. And we can do it not because we're just rebels, but because we care about what that's going to do to people we love. And I thought this would be helpful after we put out our little statement because it, th- this to me is all about freedom of the conscience. I, I completely agree with all of us 100% that the government should never, ever, ever, except in the case where like a disease is killing 30% of everyone who gets sick with it, should never mandate you put anything inside your body. It is utterly tyrannical. And how he spoke so belittlingly I am as angry as you are about it. It is wicked. But what's new? Is there anything new here? This is not new, brothers and sisters. This is as old as it gets. And so, I guess at the end of the day, what I'm saying is, Love each other really well through this. Pray for each other. The local church, I, I think this, all that's going on in the last two years is a gift of God to the local church. I, I don't think there's been a better opportunity in your lifetime than what you've been given in the last two years. Except those of you who are alive during World War II. That was a joke for you old people. What do I mean? Don't we have an opportunity to show the kind of unity and welcome around the person and work of Jesus Christ, the kind of love and affection for each other and commitment and allegiance to each other that our world knows nothing about and won't it be an utterly stark contrast in our world right now? Can't you show respect and humility towards those in leadership where you disagree when our world, all we do is foam at the mouth with anybody in authority that we disagree with? And I really want you to think less of me. My sisters live in Randolph, Wisconsin, which is 40, 45 miles northeast of Madison, and their kids are in a private Christian school in Dane County. And they, Dane County has mandated that children in school wear masks all the time, even out for recess. It's utterly ridiculous, right? And my sisters, because I'm the big brother... And because I'm a pastor, and I know always what to say on these issues, call and email 
they forward me their school board's directive that even though they may disagree, they're going to go along and require students to wear masks at the school. And my advice to my sisters is, you need to support your school board. You need to honor their authority. You need to make leading you easy for them. You can respectfully disagree. You can ask to work together. And how can you resist this? But you better make their job easy. Either you submit or you find a different school. You think less of me for that? Shouldn't that be the Christian way? Does Romans 13 apply there or doesn't it? Of course, we have freedom to choose a different school. Praise God. Outside of Dane County, I would recommend. That's also a recommendation I give to my sisters. (laughs) So, let's end with this. We do live in an increasingly tyrannical age where laws are no longer made through legislative processes but only by administrative fiats. It is wrong. What our president said two Thursdays ago was utterly belittling to 80 million or more citizens of the United States. I I don't think anybody's done any more to dissuade you from taking a vaccine than he has. That's wrong. Any parent knows that the more pressure you put on your kid to do something, the more resistance you can expect. And we're all very frustrated that no one has been held accountable for the fake dossier, that there's been no ramifications for the mail-in fraud of the election. All of that's true. I saw a video of Dr. Fauci from a few years ago laughing when somebody asked if masks would be an effective help against respiratory illnesses. He laughed and mocked the guy in the interview. (laughs) And there's no accountability. That's all true. That is all true. But Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of the dead and the living. He is the one before whom all will give an account. And so live at peace with each other. Prefer to care for those who are different than you on these secondary matters. Welcome them into your homes. Be different than the world. Don't argue and fight. Don't spend your hours investigating this or that conspiracy theory. Yes, involve yourself in the political arena. First and always by prayer, but second, out of love for others, especially the coming generation. But take care how you speak about authority because you are training them how to relate to your authority. But Jesus is Lord. We don't live to ourselves. We don't die to ourselves. You who are strong, bear with the failings of the weak. so that we may live in such harmony with one another that the world looks at that and goes, how can you guys do that? 
that we live in such harmony with each other that we with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that glorious? That we live like heaven now. Let's pray. Father, help us. We are very weak in these things. We are prone to fail and sin. But may we see in you what you are, the sovereign God over all things, the God who has justified us through faith in your Son, the God who has welcomed us. And so, Father, teach us to welcome each other. Help us to grow at this point. God, help us with the confusion of this day, how enraging it is in our leaders. But, God, may we not be like the world here. God, help us. Give us peace first with each other. Give us peace in regards to the world, and yet motivate us to do something about it that would be helpful. But God, help us to refrain our lips, to restrain our hatred and enmity, especially towards each other, and to unite. And so keep the devil and our own sinful inclinations from our, from our being conformed to the world where we would divide and argue and, and be afraid to think differently than anybody here. And so God, have mercy on us. God, we pray that where we have failed, that you would remind us again of the goodness that you have given us in your Son where we have forgiveness of sins, that none would walk away here despairing in their sin because we have a sufficient Savior. And yet, God, help us to live more for his and your glory in peace with each other. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.